so much for having me. I'm so excited to join you. And I want to thank Daisy and Stephanie and Alex and everyone at 5 by 15 for including me tonight. And I certainly need a copy of Emma's book. I, I did end up writing my memoir, Both and uh, A Life in Many Worlds, uh, during uh, the pandemic. And it did turn out to be a bit, a bit of therapy and a little bit of detox too. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to picking up a copy of her book and I'm honored to be uh, on the same um, panel as all these uh, authors and creators who I, I really admire. So thank you for letting me participate. And for me, um, I have to say, I've always believed um, my life has been a combination of fate, um, luck and hard work. And for much of it, I really have been a refraction of somebody else's pronoun. They, as in my parents, she, as in my boss, Hillary Clinton, and he, as uh, in who I was married to for many years, Anthony Weiner, um, who Rosie just mentioned. And I realized uh, I was fine. I loved being invisible. I loved being the person behind the scenes. I've been in politics and public service in the United States. And I cringe as I use this number for a quarter of a century uh, until I was uh, forced off the treadmill in 2016 when Hillary lost the presidential election. And I liked being invisible. I liked doing my job and staying behind the scenes until I realized that while I remained silent, um, everyone else was telling my story. And most of those stories are actually inaccurate. And so I chose to sit down and write my own truth and uh, reclaim my own history. Uh, I was raised by two academics. My father always encouraged me to study history, even though he always said, your eyes are at the front of your head for a reason, it's to look forward. You needed to understand the choices, the decisions, things that happened in the past to understand how to make those decisions in your future. I'm the product of immigrant parents, an Indian father, a Pakistani mother, and really the testament in my life, the, the person whose legacy I really wrote this book to honor was my grandmother, my eight-year-old grandmother in 1910 in India, who demanded to be educated, who demanded to go to school, living in a society, in a community where girls did not do that. So over the years, every time I have walked on Air Force One or flown on Marine One, or the number of times I've been privileged to be in places, palaces, and met living legends, every instance in my life, I really owe to that dream that uh, she carried out to go to school. She raised my mother, who was essentially self-taught, um, born in India, was a refugee to Pakistan, and became a Fulbright scholar where she um, made it to the University of Pennsylvania, met my father, who was also a product of public servants in India, and he too became a Fulbright scholar. They met in Philadelphia and they decided to embrace this new life, to hold on to traditions that were important to them, but to assimilate in this community. And they did, they moved to Michigan, which is where I was born. And when I was two, my father was diagnosed with renal failure. He was a, um, a political scientist teaching at the Western Michigan University. And my mother was a sociologist. And one of the first lines I wrote in my book was my father was told he was dying. And so he went out and he lived. And two months later, they accepted a sabbatical to Saudi Arabia. And it was a choice between going to Italy and going to Saudi Arabia. And my mother actually tells me that they meant to go to Italy until my father received this diagnosis and they thought the opportunity of 
showing us a part of the world and part of our faith and culture. I'm a Muslim American, as Rosie mentioned, um, was really important to them. And that is how I spent my childhood, growing up in Jeddah, living a very international life in, in the midst of an international community. We had a very strong community. My father always, you know, we had lots of plants in our house. And my father always said that people are like plants and a plant is only as good as its roots. And if you nourish those roots, if you take care of that soil, it doesn't matter winter, storm, rain, that plant is gonna be okay. And they inculcated that into us from a very young age. And every summer we would hop on a plane and we'd explore a new part of the world. We went to Asia and Europe and Africa, Middle East, obviously the United States and Canada, the UK once or twice a year. And it gave us, my parents really wanted us to learn about the world, to respect other languages, cultures, people and traditions. And so I feel as though that kind of grounding, I mean, there's also this notion of forcing us to grow up. And I think in part because my father didn't know how long he would have with us. When I was five, six, seven, eight, I have memories of being sent out into the living room to greet our guests or getting on the phone with the airlines to book our flights to Bangkok, doing things that I thought I was not old enough to do and that I was too scared to do, but I did it because he told me I could do it. And I lost my father when I was 17, just before I left for university. But I feel like when I walked into the White House at 21 in 1996, I brought that perspective, those roots, that grounding that my parents instilled in me um, growing up in the way that uh, I was able to be raised. And I walked into the White House, not, uh, there weren't a lot of other Muslim Americans. There certainly a lot, weren't a lot of women like me walking around. And back then, America might be hard to remember now, but it was arguably the sole superpower in the world. And I was working in the Clinton administration. I wasn't even sure if I was a Democrat or a Republican. Actually, most of my family was Republican back then, but it felt like a cause. Here you had a president who was championing peace in the Middle East. He was overseeing a robust economy. There was a first lady who was traveling the world, championing women's rights as human rights. And I was told, taught two lessons when I walked into the White House. White House. Number one was fail to plan, plan to fail. So everything about my life and work was doing it right, being perfect, doing the best. I wasn't the smartest. I wasn't the prettiest. I wasn't the best at what I did, but I was prepared to outwork everybody all the time. And so we had a very much a sink or swim attitude. And I share many stories in the book about what it was like um, on my first trips, what I didn't know what I was doing when I had to go in to the president and first lady's bedroom to wake up the first lady because she was late for a trip and I didn't know how to do it. Uh, and it was basically a disaster or my very first trip to New York when I flew on a helicopter um, with the president and first lady and they were on Marine One and I was on one of the staff helicopters and my helicopter landed first and I'm taking off all the luggage that my helicopter takes off and Marine One lands and as Marine One lands, it lifts up Hillary's clothes and flings her entire hanging bag into the East River and I have to run and find somebody to fish it out. Never told her the story until many years later. We did fish it out. We did manage to get it dry cleaned. So you did whatever it took. It was such an exciting, incredible place to be. And that translated into this incredible job in the Senate, um, which um, unfortunately coincided with 9-11 and the war on terror. And it changed those of us who are New Yorkers 
it changed everything about the way we live, the way we experience the world, the way the way our lives and our, our inner lives and uh, psychology were just shaken and shattered in a way that I think we just could never have anticipated. Um, and then to be on this incredible 2008 uh, presidential campaign when Hillary was the first woman to make history, I share the stories in the book of what that experience was like and what being uh, in a world where there weren't a lot of men, how hard it was, how we didn't know how to deal with a lot of the sexism and misogyny. We just laughed, all of us, even those of us in the campaigns, when people commented on her clothes or her hair. Doesn't matter that she was the, one of the most qualified uh, you know, people on the stage. It was just the price we thought we had to pay. And you know, Emma was talking earlier about um, the time that she grew up in the world. I was raised in the Clinton world of politics. And so that was the early 90s or the mid 90s. And it was the dawn of 24 hour cable news. And so every day we had a proactive message and we ignored the nonsense. If we were talking about healthcare, that's all we talked about every single day. And we ignored anything um, that wasn't that. In 2008, all of that was changing. And, um, and, and I, I think uh, everyone who's watching knows how that campaign, campaign ended. I was really proud to then join uh, President Obama's administration uh, to work at the State Department alongside Hillary to go back out into the world, to go back to countries, many of which I had gone to as a child with my parents, but to go back representing my country, which to me was always point of pride and the incredible um, experiences and challenges and how to navigate our way um, in the world to go into countries and places that were sovereign nations that felt sometimes a little put upon when the West would come in and tell them how they should live and act and form their governments. And to live in that both and world, I always you know, said I lived along the seams, understanding both perspectives, living with one foot in one world and another foot in another. Uh, and then in the middle of all that, to meet uh, the love of my life, to fall in love, to get married, and then to have to uh, uh, endure that heartbreak and betrayal on the national news here. I think for, for many years, the headlines in, in the United States about to me were what is wrong with her and what is she thinking? And I chose to stay. I share a story in the book about waking up at Buckingham Palace I was secretly pregnant. I wasn't even 12 weeks pregnant when the news broke about Anthony and how my life changed and how uh, the judgment, the, the sort of extrication from society, the disinvitations from parties and what that does to you to live with shame and to live um, in that kind of trauma. And it's one of the many reasons I wrote the book because I think a lot of people, particularly women, unfortunately have had to go through what I went through and are going through it. And the number of people who reached out to me then and now um, has just been overwhelming and, and really, um, you know, I feel like it's a small service that uh, I, you know, uh, I'm able to provide, I think. Uh, and then the 2016 campaign, the history that uh, Hillary Clinton made, all the outside forces that affect that election, my role in it, the, the incredible opportunities we had. And and the tragedy, I get up every single day and I think about how different our country would have been if Hillary Clinton had been elected in 2016. And I hope when people walk away from this book that they realize she would have been an extraordinary leader an extraordinary president. And now that I'm on a book tour and traveling around this country, I have to say my favorite places to go speak are at universities. And young women always ask me, what do you think? What is your advice? And I always tell them to do the thing that scares them the most 
because that's what I'm doing right now. I've done the thing that scares me the most. I've put it all down there. I'm out in the world and I find it to be not terrifying, not something I regret, but really gratifying and really liberating. And as we live in an increasingly divided political country here, uh, I think it's all the more important that more voices and different voices step forward and speak their truth. And it's a, an honor and a privilege that I've been able to have a few minutes of your time to share mine. Thank you all and have a good evening.